Now, it's a climb to the top. Stories of personal transformation with Chuck Garcia. Chuck Garcia has climbed some of the world's highest peaks. Chuck Garcia. He's an executive coach. He's a professor at Columbia, LIU. He climbs mountains. He does it all. Chuck Garcia. Yesterday, I was clever, and I wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise, and I want to change myself. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, stories of personal transformation. I'm Chuck Garcia. Every Sunday at 9 p.m., we feature individuals from all walks of life who have overcome adversity, career challenges, and life's unexpected obstacles. With every guest, we discuss the circumstances and we discuss the catalysts that help them to climb their proverbial mountain of happiness and success. Stories from A Climb to the Top inspire, motivate, and help ignite your personal transformation so that you may help others to ignite theirs. And now, Chuck Garcia. In 1995, two classmates at Stanford University collaborated to develop a program on the World Wide Web to do what they called backlink analysis. They wanted to know, in the world of web pages, who was linked to whom. Convinced that the pages with the most links from other highly relevant web pages must be the most relevant, they tested their thesis in a project called Backrub, writing a research paper which was titled The Anatomy of a Large-Scale Hypertextual Web Search Engine. Fueled by the rave reviews that Backrub received, these two gentlemen, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, began developing Google. It was very much a shoestring project at the time. Operating out of their dorm rooms, the pair built a server network using cheap, used, and borrowed personal computers. They even maxed their credit cards, buying terabytes, whatever that means, of disks at discount prices. The site was named after a Google, the name of the number one followed by 100 zeros, which was featured in a book called Mathematics and the Imagination. The name represents the immense amount of information that a search engine has to sift through. Now in 2019, there are approximately 100,003 employees and the revenues exceed $110 billion a year. But to me, the most compelling part of the story is the evolution of Google's people. The transformations that occur from having maxed out their credit cards to creating a company culture that, in my humble opinion, is the envy of most other organizations worldwide. And in one of my favorite books of all time called Work Rules, Insights from Google that will transform how you live and how you lead. The author, Laszlo Block, wrote a gem. Just by looking at the title, note the integration of the words he chose. Transform how you live and how you lead. One life. Work, personal, it's all connected. What I loved about this book is the thesis that work does not have to be such a burden. But work is a place to, not a place to go in exchange for paying the rent. It can actually improve employees' lives. Who knew? Google, to me, stands on the pillars of three things. Treasure and analyze your best employees. Use non-cash awards to improve employee happiness. And managerial quality is the single biggest determinant to employee retention. 
In other words, people don't leave their company, they leave their boss. How do we strive to improve not just our lives, but the lives of others? It is hard to relate to a $100 billion company, but not its people. Each has their own story to tell that may inspire us to transform, to become the best versions of ourselves. And this doesn't happen by accident. Last week, I talked about the zone of proximal development. You are the average of the five people you hang out with. That is the theme of this show in which we feature individuals who have stood and fallen and stood and zigged and zagged and failed and succeeded. And their stories are not tragedy. Their stories are those of triumph. And with that introduction, it brings me great pleasure to introduce my friend, my former student, one I would consider a mentee, and his name is Anthony Sicaranza Jr. And Anthony, it is a pleasure to have you at this table. Thanks, Chuck. It's a pleasure to be here. And welcome to the studios at 77 WABC. Probably, Anthony, it is, it is so awesome being at this table with you because I have watched you grow up. And what a pleasure it has been. And I don't mean growing up. I knew you when you were six. I didn't. I met you later on, and we can get to that in just a second. Before we get to the backstory, which is really foundational to a climb to the top, this show features people of personal transformation, all of which, Anthony, which you and I have discussed many times, it is all in the service of others' success. Because you have climbed a mountain with me. And one thing that I taught you in class that I've seen you definitely manifest is the law of reciprocity. If you want to succeed, help others to succeed, and they will in turn help you. Anthony, you are in this studio in 77 WABC, and you have a white shirt with one word across it that says... Google. All right. So tell me why you're wearing the shirt and what are you doing these days? Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, so I'm at Google. I'm a program manager on their performance management design team. Um, and as you mentioned, people are kind of is the central piece of Google. And so um, a lot of what I do is making sure that we're incenting Googlers to do the right work uh, at the right time and then rewarding them appropriately for that. Cool. And that reward, I take it, I had said before, non-cash that really sticks out when I read about Google, you reward them in all kinds of ways. Absolutely. All right, cool. And uh, I, when I heard the words, when I asked you what you're doing now, I didn't hear the word search engine. I didn't hear terabyte. I didn't hear anything technical. Why do you do what you do? You know, I think most Googlers are working on really impactful things. And I would say most of the company is working to change the world in some way. Right. And it's our job in people operations to help enable that progress. And so even though we're not working on those big shiny things. We're the ones that can help enable the Googlers to do those amazing things. And this is an interesting thing because often we talk about people want to change the world, but many don't consider changing themselves. However, it seems to me at Google, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on, people work pretty hard to change themselves. Is that a fair, at least my own assessment from looking from the outside in, that seems to be a core value in your organization. How does that work? Yeah, so we really try to match people uh, and their skills with roles that are interesting to them because we know that most organizations will set goals and you'll have objectives at the beginning of the year. But where most organizations fall flat is that they don't realize that you have to set goals that have meaning to the individual. Interesting. So, so the importance of work being meaningful, and I know there are a couple projects, many of which I use in my own classes as case studies, called Projects Oxygen and Project Aristotle. They really talk about 
uh, psychological safety, bringing meaning to the work. And it, we read about all of that. Is that really true? Do you guys do what you say or what we read about? Absolutely. I mean, no organization's perfect, and we've got some uh, kinks to iron out. But um, overall, I think Google really strives to make sure that people are working on things that are interesting to them. Yeah, and that matter. And that matter, right, exactly. Cool. Well, now I know that when, when you went to Google, it was your first time crossing, or at least going west of the Mississippi. And you got there in a really interesting way. Because when we think about people's own transformations, how they got to the place where they are today, it is often not a straight line. It is often a zigzag. It is stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down. And I think in your case, it, you exemplify that. And I've watched you with the courage and the conviction that any time you hit an obstacle, you somehow were able to face it. So let, let, let's go back, Anthony. Your road to Google was probably, at least in my own estimation, uh, somewhat unconventional. You did not, at, at 17, oh, I'm going to go to this school, and I'm going to get this job, and I'm going to get married when I'm 27, and I'm going to have 2.2 kids. You did something else. So tell, tell us, walk us back here. Anthony, what kind of student were you in school? Yeah, that's a, unconventional is a great word. Yeah. Um, we like unconventional. Yeah. In fact, I love unconventional. And I think, actually, before we get started, can I just add some background yeah, to this? Yeah, you um, bet. You mentioned the rule of um, reciprocity, and yeah. that's something that's really important to me. I think in my career and my life, I've encountered two kinds of people that have come from kind of the bottom and, and made their way up. Um, there's one person that is um, kind of scared and worried that folks below them are going to kind of take that role from them. And therefore they try to keep folks down. And on the other side, there are folks that have achieved this goal and then try to bring others with them. And so the purpose of us telling this story, I think, is there are probably a lot of people out there that are in the similar situation that I was in. Mm -hmm. And it, I just want to let them know that there's hope, there's a way out. Um, you've got to put yourself in the right situations, work hard. And that's really the purpose. It's not for self-promotion or anything like that. Um, if you're out there and in this position, just know that um, you can make it out. Well, I appreciate that because one of the things that we explore in, in on, on the inaugural show of A Climb to the Top, we talked about the almost a social disorder, that there is a crisis in the United States that the more technology that we use for ourselves, it seems that that is proportional to the amount of loneliness that is occurring. And that many people, when they go to work, maybe notwithstanding Google, they feel di disengaged. And many are not disengaged because of the nature of the work that taps their fingers. They're disengaged because they're not feeling a lot of heart with the people that they are surrounded by, that zone of proximal development. So if we start with the premise that where we engage is the people that are right in front of us, and often our attitude is determined by who is right in front of us because that bounces off each other. These mirror neurons that we have when we are working with someone who is described in your case in this scenario, not the kick down, kiss up, Right. What you're talking about is leading from the, the, not just front, you could lead from the back, but you are helping to ascend and helping others to climb their mountain mountain because you're not threatened by them. To the contrary, you as the manager are there for their success, not the other way around. And I think a lot of the loneliness stems from people that have it backwards because they are threatened by what others may do to take what they have and they're in the protection mode. And it's difficult to climb a mountain when you're busy being protected. You climb a mountain because you are bold enough to face the next step that you don't know what it's going to be. That was you. That's exactly right. All right. Yeah. So, and, and I appreciate you putting in context two kinds yeah. of people. I couldn't agree more. 
As you emerged then, when you got out of high school, and I, I seem to remember it, I'd really appreciate you sharing because the first thing that you're telling our listeners, it's okay to not be okay. I know some people look at that as a tragedy. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Well, in this case, you're going to say, okay, let's take a deep breath. And, and, and I want them to hear a bit of your story because I think there's a lot of people that have the same story, but because of the social isolation, they feel stuck. You're living proof that you don't have to be, but it starts in the mind. So walk us through, you got out of high school, you just went to college, right? Like everybody else or not? Yeah. So I did attend the local community college for right. about a week. Yeah. <laughs> well, that really worked out well. <laughs> oh, just, this way, yeah, forget about it. I think I'm going to turn right around and go home. That's exactly what, what happened. happened. It wasn't for you. It just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like I was ready for that. It's interesting. It didn't feel right. Yeah. Yet all of society told you, go in there, get your grades, and that's your path to Google. It yeah. didn't feel right. Retrench. Back up. Where'd you go? So from there, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a... Uh, Obviously, my, my parents weren't happy about it, but from yeah, there... Yeah, most parents wouldn't yeah. be, but it's okay not to be okay. Yes. You were not okay. Exactly. And so through, during high school, I had worked part-time. My dad owned a mechanic shop at the time. Right. And so I'd worked um, after school uh, in there, which unfortunately took the place of studying. Right. And so I just went back to that. I said, you know what? This is what I'm good at. Right. Um, you can make a good living doing this. So why not give it a try? So you left the community college and got back in the car and said, I'm going to keep fixing the cars. It was an auto body shop. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there working on doing it's great. You know, I know every time my car got hit, I'd like appreciate guys that fixed it, but I never got to know them on a personal level. So here you are and you're fixing the auto body. And then what? That didn't get you to Google. No, certainly not. You know, one of the things about working in some of the blue collar industries is that you end up hopping around a bit. And so I probably, there's an eight year span where I probably hopped around four to five different auto body shops. I've done a variety of things. I did construction. I sold beer not too far from here in Hell's Kitchen. So you, you're now, you're not wandering. <laughs> yes, you, exactly. You're, you're exploring, discovering, whatever it is. You're not staying put because it seems not so great in that, but I'll just keep moving on. Maybe something will be better. Yes. And also every job that I had, I always felt like I was thinking outside of my, my, you know, quote unquote job, if you will. Like right. even at the body shop, I would wonder why are we treating customers? So, and you know, by we, not the folks in the shop, yeah. we never got to interact yeah. with customers, yeah, but like, general. why do, yeah, why do we treat customers so poorly? Like things yeah, like that, yeah. there's always like that next step. And yeah, so we're kind of you to fix the car yet. You're thinking, why are we treating you poorly? We, do we need to do that? We need to make them feel like crap. Yeah. And that's what you did. All right. So something's in your head. How long did you, did you wander? Probably close to eight years. No kidding. Yeah. That I didn't, I don't remember the yeah. timeline. So you had job to job, auto body shop. Um, Google was never in your sights. <laughs> I no. think Google didn't exist. What'd you do next? Yeah, it, it comes a point where, you know, people start to ask, well, what are you yeah, doing? Right. Like, what are you that? doing when you grow yeah, up? Right. <laughs> like, I'm right. I don't already. know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go to the next body, auto body yes. shop. How's that? And so we're coming, this is the end of the Great Recession. Right. And so... 2008, 9-ish. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, civil service jobs are really hot now, right? Like stable roles, yeah. good benefits, et cetera. And so... I decided to sign up for a few police exams. Um, the town that I grew up in, Mount Vernon, yeah. um, had one of them, and they offered preferential treatment to um, citizens of the town. And right. so I become a police route. officer. Exactly. I'm not going to yeah. do an auto body shop. But yeah. you didn't become a police officer. What I happened? I failed the physical You exam. didn't pass it. All right. So here we are. All right. Auto body shop. No, I'm not going to do that. So I'll become a policeman. 
Yeah. I'll work 40 hours a week or whatever it is. It's a stable place. It's a government, and I got a pension. Exactly. But that didn't work out. So That's falling right. off the mountain. Then what? That's really the inflection point where yeah. I was like, okay, something has to change. I've okay. literally explored all my options. Got it. So in your mind now, something has to change. I yes. love that. Change your mind. Change your heart. What changed? It's a good question. I think the constant failure started to get old. Right. And so I said... Um, Rather than trying to take these jobs that seem like the, you know, quote unquote, right thing to do and what mm -hmm. others wanted me to do, right. I'm going to take the unconventional path and I'm just going to start taking classes at the local community college and right. see how it goes. So even though you had an experience that after a whopping week, you said, this isn't for me, you're a different Anthony. What happened? You know, one of the benefits of working in all of these different jobs, I got to meet people from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. And the more people that I met from uh, corporate companies and um, like lawyers and politicians, even I started watching more like actual news. And so it made me realize that I'd like to be that one day. And so I started to, I set a goal and I started to work towards that direction. All right. So this is an interesting one because here in the midst of your climb, and I think in retrospect, we can call it a transformation. You created a visual, it sounds like in your mind. And I think that's an important tool for our listeners to recognize visualization is, it's certainly a very good tool, but I think somebody has to sometimes give themselves permission to get a visual that is beyond their own limits. Because what I find often with people when I ask them, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. They don't dream beyond those limits. They, they, they stay right in their lane. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but for those who want more, if they've asked for more, they often don't ask themselves, what am I going to do? And is it okay to ask for more? Or should I just stay in the body shop and keep the job? You must have gone through some kind of knocking around in your head, oh my God, what am I going to do? Yeah, it's very difficult too, because I think folks out there that are, um, you know, grew up in blue collar families and maybe are in this situation now, you almost, you look negatively at the folks that are, you know, kind of suit and tie. And so that's a really hard thing to break out of, right? Because even uh, pursuing a career like that kind of puts you in like a cast a shadow on you with your family. And so well, that's an interesting one, though. You know, you look at the guy that goes and you grew up in the suburban New York where people get on commuter trains at about 615 in the morning. They are generally in a suit and a briefcase. The women are in heels and in suits and dresses and an auto body shop or anything but that. So almost as if you looked at that as that's not a place either for me or that's not a place where I belong. That's right. It's the second one. It right. was not a place that I belonged. You didn't feel that you belonged there, but yes. nobody told you that. Correct. And there was nobody in college that said, you don't deserve a seat at this table because you, you, you're going to look lousy in a suit and a tie. Right. So I'm not going to go there. But something changed again. You're now taking courses. Um, you're back in the community college, and you are recognizing, hmm, Mate, you didn't, did you last more than a week? I did. Did you last eight days? I did. And, and a semester? <laughs> the whole semester. All right. You did the semester. Did, was it a different experience and or was it a different Anthony? Both. Completely different. Um, I think it was a, a different experience because I was a different Anthony. Mm -hmm. And one of the things was, you know, you're at this point now where you have to take this a lot more seriously. Like, this is my kind of like now, last chance. Now, well... There's something at stake here that maybe in your consciousness at the age of 18, you didn't feel there was as much at stake. Now you're seeing that. The stakes are higher. Yes. And also, you mentioned the belonging. While at the community college, I had the chance of just meeting some really wonderful people that actually started to believe in me for really the first time in my life. Folks 
you know, typically didn't believe in me given my past history of kind of bouncing around, not having a stable job. And so when let, you meet let, someone, let, that let, let me you. hold that, Anthony, you just struck a chord. <laughs> you were talking about your zone of proximal development. What was missing before? You didn't have anyone in your zone that believed in you because you didn't have anyone in your zone. And the only people in your zone were maybe the ones that told you you're going to look lousy in a suit, so stay blue collar. Here, what you just said, Anthony, wasn't, it wasn't about the course I took. It wasn't about the content or creating something. It was about the people who showed up that believed in you. Because what I know, even in my own college teaching, and you were my former student, I think you're looking at somebody who believed in you. What my concern with you, I was concerned you didn't believe in yourself. So my job in my mindset is, can I help Anthony to believe in himself? Because you generated, at least to me, you demonstrated an enormous amount of potential. But... It's as if you were holding back. That's what changed your proximity to the people who believed in you. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and honestly, it's still something that I think a lot of us struggle with today, uh, particularly me, it's imposter syndrome, thinking that yeah. you're, you're going to be found out you're an imposter, you don't belong here. <laughs> I knew it all along. <laughs> but, um, you know, it really played out in that folks believed in me, which then snowballed into me working harder. Right which led to better grades. Right, so one thing, you're, you're now, your elevation on the mountain, right. they believed in you, provided the incentive and the inspiration, hey, I can do better. It's not only what we expect from you, now you're thinking differently what you expect from yourself. And yes. the, the better you got, then what happens? It just snowballs. Right. I mean, the better you get, the more excited you are about the future because you start to believe, you know what, I, I actually can do this. Right. No, well, you did. Now, you then went to college. You, <laughs> you, la you not only lasted more than a week, you finished college. Correct. Congratulations. I take it the auto body, all of that was behind you. Yes. And I have to say, you look pretty good in a suit. <laughs> Thank you. So now, you, are you, were you at a time now where you feel, you felt, hey, I belong here. In spite of what everyone else in my world is telling me, the only thing that matters is the opinion I have of myself. Here I am. You're feeling good about it now. Building on yes. your own momentum. Yes, feeling better about it. Belonging's tough though, right? Because hmm? you know you were with me at Mercy College, yeah. and I was always, almost always, the oldest person yeah, in the room. Indeed you were. You, and it, I, I could see a divide between your level of maturity. I'm not saying the others are mature. You were just in different places. You were probably five or six years older than your mates, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a different you with different experiences. And also you came from a school of hard knocks. Many of them went from high school right into college, some with full scholarships. As far as they were concerned, hey, this is my path to Wall Street. It's just they, right. they just got on the conventional path. You, though, almost had to face the stigma, maybe sometimes the embarrassment, like what's this 25-year-old yes. doing with the 18-year-olds? Yes. And you had, to, you had to figure out a way. You became in that zone of proximal development. You were in each other's zone. Yeah. And it may have felt very uncomfortable. In fact, I could see that in you sometimes. Yes, it was very uncomfortable. But also, yeah. shout out to the folks in that class who were very welcoming and, um, you know, friendly. And I think we have a really good community. But it was more like self making. I was making myself uncomfortable just thinking right. about the situation. Right. And and so after college, though, I think what's really cool. What I know is you decided to join a very big machine, and they, they sell a lot of soda. You joined Pepsi. You are now in this massive Fortune 50, I don't know, Fortune 10, I don't know what they are anymore, this massive organization. You have now, without a doubt, 
You're not in the auto body. You're no longer in college. You are working for an organization that is where you have to dress up, so to speak, and you're not there in the auto body suit. And you are now in a very different place you probably never would have expected. What were the skills? I think I know this, but I'd love to hear it from you. You acquired a set of skills along the way that, in my estimation, helped you to transform. Only because I saw where you were and where you became. Give advice to our listeners. The people that are listening are a couple years younger than you. They are merging in their careers and they listen to podcasts for self-help and career advice. What did you do, Anthony? And then what do you continue to do now a few years later? What are those skills? Yeah, I think the the most important thing um, is your communicate or are your communication skills and your EQ um, because things like learning on the job require good communication. Like you have to tell someone that you need help or you don't understand something and do it in a way that is, um, help will be helpful to you. The answer will be helpful. Right. So communicate, speak with purpose, listen with intent. Yes. You know, you're able to make that kind of connection where you are moving people. And I I know in the corporate environment, my many years at Bloomberg and BlackRock, it was about moving people to your cause and you do it. There's a lot of ways to do it, but if you don't do it, the consequence is lack of promotion or you get stuck. So your communication skills, your emotional intelligence, um, these are, and they go together. And, and did you have them when you got to Pepsi and did you just keep building on it? Yeah, I had a great baseline from mostly thanks to you. you know, you're uh, welcome. And it so, wasn't me, it was you. <laughs> and so great baseline, but you have to continually build on that. And that's the key point is like the other thing that's really important when you go into one of these corporate roles, especially your first one, is you have to continually, uh, continuously keep learning. Right. Reinvesting yourself. You're never yes. done. Right. And you were an excellent student, but I'd imagine even now, let, let's get out of Pepsi for a moment. I know you called me from Pepsi and you said, oh my God, I've got an interview with a company on the West Coast that's west of the Mississippi to a place I've never been, to a company called Google. Oh my God. And Anthony, I have to say, you came to me and, I, and I, you called me and I said, well, we need to talk about this. And it says, if you were back to the person, I don't believe I deserve maybe a seat at that table. Walk me through that because I, I picked up on that and I said, oh God, you, you, you diverted back to your, you reverted back to your comfort zone. Yeah. Well, to, to, to tell me about that. It's hard. I mean, you hear all the stories, right? It's harder to get into Google than it is Harvard. Yeah. I mean, what is a kid that was washing cars three summers ago doing with the job at Google? Right. And yet, uh, you got a call or an email, whatever it is. And I know you and I had breakfast the next day and you were on a plane five days later to a place you've never been. And you're now in the Silicon Valley and you're talking to this company called Google, which sooner or later will have a hundred billion in revenue. And that must have been a wonderful part of your transformation. If nothing else, a validation of your skill set. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you feel as you were going through this? You know, just just help the mind of the listener in the one minute that we have left. Yeah. What, what do you tell them about auto body shop for five years, college dropout, back to college, back to Google? Anthony, this is an inspiring story. Let's leave them with with what what do you do now so that they may learn and from you? For folks who have had uh, many experiences that they think are unrelated to their ultimate end goal, Think about what in those experiences were valuable and be able to articulate that to your interviewer and explain how these skills will be relevant in the future. Because every job, and even if you're in a job now that you think is not 
um, you know, maybe as a dead end job, think about what are the skills that you can earn in this job that are going to help you towards your ultimate goal. Every experience is valuable. Right. And that's a good point because I, some people, some people, I feel they don't think their skill set is incremental. They think this is suitable for this and it doesn't transfer it to that. But where we're going to end the show today is what Winston Churchill said, Anthony, that he was speaking to you. And what he said is success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the will to continue that counts. Anthony, you have demonstrated enormous will in your transformation, and I am honored to have you here in the studios at 77 WABC. Thank you very much for coming in here and contributing to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It was a real pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.